It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. Scott Foster in here on a Thursday. Hope you're doing well on this day. A a nice, clear day, at least for uh, central Nebraska. Could be some storms whirling in. We'll hear from Paul Perkins coming up in about 15 minutes. Meanwhile, we're going to talk about all the other things that we have coming your way on midday. And we're joined first by Susan Littlefield. Good morning, Susan. Well, good morning to you. How's it going there? Did you get any any showers or anything this morning? We didn't get any in Butler County, but as I made it to Lincoln, I was pretty quick in running from the car to the building because it was downpouring. Yeah, there's some of that going on. They're kind of scattered here and there, but uh, a lot in the east for sure. What do you got for us today, Susan? Well, a couple different things we're going to learn about that uh, coming up at 1219 about sorghum hay. It's an option right now for Kansas farmers as crops didn't get in the field as planted. But speaking of planting, also some fertilizer options that can be coming their way for the winter wheat crop. Then at 1245, Alex steps in and talks with Nick McConnell. He's one of the UNL journalism students that did the documentary stories. You remember that about floods and the blizzards? Mm-hmm. So they're going to get an update as to what they're seeing in part two of that discussion. And then Bryce will step in to wrap it all up at 117 as they hear comments from the District 33 Senator as he was at Husker Harvest Days last week and talks about gathering signatures to place a property tax relief item on the ballot for 2020. Mm, that's That one's controversial. We'll, we'll see how that one goes. So thank you, Susan. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. Well, we turn it over to Jason Jorgensen, and uh, Stanford played well last night. Uh, that Catherine Plummer, well, she had a game. She's had a career. She has. <laughs> Nebraska can't match up with her. No. No, 19 uh, kills on the night. That's uh, pretty impressive. She was a handful last year in the national title game, and she was a bigger handful last night. But near record crowd saw it. Coach Cook, I think he took that loss in stride. Uh, if you missed that, we'll play for you uh, what he had to say about it. But yeah, the Huskers aren't used to being handled like that in the Devaney Center. Well, you know, you look at Stanford, everybody coming back, and, and Nebraska's got a lot of new people. And, and not a surprise, I don't think, but uh, I don't know. Now, I, I, I'm i still kind of confused about the whole Cardinals versus Cardinal thing, but uh, that's another story we can get to later. That's because they can use Cardinal because they're so much smarter than everyone else out there at Stanford. <laughs> okay, that's what it is. They just throw it out there and oh, yeah, no one disagrees. Seems, yeah, you're right, you're right. Also, we'll talk some Husker football as they will take on the Fighting Illini on Saturday night. Nebraska is still looking for their first road victory under Scott Frost. They'll be taking on a wounded animal mm-hmm. in Illinois that lost to Eastern Michigan. And hasn't gone as planned for Lovey Smith. No, Lovey's fighting for his job right now. So. Well, it it kind of depends who you talk to, but oh. uh, you know, this four years in, you wouldn't think you'd still be losing to the likes of Eastern Michigan. Okay, very good. We'll take a look at that. Thank you so much, Jason. We turn it over to Bob Brogan. Stock's up at least a little bit today. Higher on Wall Street. Technology and communications services stocks are leading the gainers, outweighing losses in banks and industrial companies today. Meanwhile, mortgage rates are near their historic lows and have spurred a rush of home buying. France's finance minister says Europe is ready to impose retaliatory tariffs next year on U.S. goods as part of a long-running dispute. And uh, Huawei is launching a new flagship smartphone. And uh, I had to pause before I said that. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm sure you're going to be getting one of those, too. Well, that's yes, all. Yes, I will. That's all coming up on Midday. Friday night, it's a doubleheader of high school football action from KRVN Sports. On 880 KRVN, it's one of the top games in the state in Class C1 as Gothenburg hosts Adam Central. Our coverage starts at 635 with kickoff at 7. On Kimmy Country Legends, Eustace Farnham hosts Deschler with kickoff at 7. And on Saturday afternoon, it's UNK football action as the Lopers visit Emporia State with kickoff at 2. And that game can be heard on 93.1 The River and also on the River app. Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. And looky there, Paul Perkins back in here to tell us the what for and what was. And uh, good to see you. Hey, good to see you. Uh, good to be back in the saddle. But, yeah, continued warm temperatures yeah. across the area. Uh, that summer-like feel continues. Even though we are in the middle, uh, we're still in the late stages of summer, it's usually a little bit cooler this time of year and also less humid, but that summer-like feel continues for a while. Here. And those south winds, uh, yeah. that make it feel a little bit, it feels like Tuesday, today feels a little bit like Tuesday. Yeah, today, yeah. yesterday uh, cooled down by the mm-hmm. cold front, that has washed out and we're back into these warmer conditions right now okay. across the area. Yeah. Oh, Currently some upper 70s to low 80s across much of central and eastern Nebraska into much of northern Kansas, but if you're along and west of a line from about O'Neill down to Ward, Broken Bow, the North Platte area on into southwest Nebraska, the very northwest corner of Kansas and northeast Colorado. Those temperatures more so in the low and mid-70s. A little bit of light rain trying to get started from the clouds from about south of Ainsworth to the Burwell and Ord area and maybe a little bit of activity in southwestern portions of Custer County towards the Broken Bow area but and Callaway. But most of that activity most likely not reaching into ground. We did have some very heavy rains last night from about Omaha into northeast Nebraska where many locations saw some flooding and about three to five inches of some rain. Today, our temperatures 10 to 15 degrees warmer than usual with some increasing south winds ahead of an area of low pressure off to our west. During the peak heating of the afternoon, some scattered thunderstorms expected to develop near that low pressure to our west and then track east. A few storms could be strong to severe, but not expected to make severe weather outbreak, just a marginal risk of severe storms for today. Not much thunderstorm activity expected tonight when the temperatures do cool down. Tomorrow into tomorrow night, more energy from that area of low pressure to our west bringing us another shot of some thunderstorms. A few severe storms are possible for tomorrow afternoon into tomorrow night. The greater severe risk for tomorrow over northwest and north-central Nebraska. Some south winds even stronger as that area of low pressure strengthens and gets closer. Saturday morning, we're going to see a lull until more thunderstorms erupt later in the day, mainly along and south of I-80 for Saturday. The higher chances of severe storms Saturday and Saturday night. Southeast Nebraska into central and east Kansas. Some drier air will work in behind a cold front by Sunday and beyond. Some small thunderstorm chances just left over for early next week. Temperatures and humidity lower for next week and more typical of this time of year, what you usually remember September weather to be like. In our long-term forecast, temperatures for Nebraska, Kansas, and the central and eastern U.S. likely to remain warmer than normal for Tuesday through the first two days of October. So September definitely going down as a warm month. Above normal rainfall is likely for Tuesday through the 2nd of October for Nebraska, Kansas, and the western two-thirds of the U.S. The outlook for October, November, and December are out. It was just released for Nebraska and Kansas. Warmer than normal temperatures are likely with above normal precipitation. In the latest regional drought monitor, Nebraska improved from a percentage point to completely drought-free. Kansas going in the reverse, decreasing three percentage points to 82% drought-free in Kansas. 
The abnormal dryness to a moderate drought continues to affect southwest Kansas. Key weather factors in the markets include moderate to heavy rain for the northern plains and Midwest in the seven-day outlook. No freeze indicated for U.S. primary crop areas. A frost or freeze threat, though, is likely for late next week for the Canadian prairies and some chances for rain for central Brazil. Warmer temperatures the next several days in the Midwest and northern plains favoring the corn and soybean development that continues to run well behind normal in many areas. Some areas of the western Midwest, such as eastern Nebraska last night, receiving three to five inches of rain that led to some flooding and flash flooding. Midwest and Northern Plains crop damage is possible from some moderate to heavy rain that is expected seven days from now, something to watch. No signs, though, of damage in cold the next 10 days for both the Midwest and Northern Plains. Ten days out from today, though, in the Canadian prairies, colder weather likely to result in frost and freeze conditions for some Alberta crop areas and possibly northwest Saskatchewan. Brazil crop areas dry and hot for another six to seven days, and that's delaying their soybean planting, a higher chance for rain in central Brazil, not, excuse me there, late, uh, some higher, there is a higher chance for rain in central Brazil about 7 to 10, day, 10 days from now with some cooler temperatures. All right, very good. Well, he was talking to a farmer last night, a producer last night, and uh, uh, he said that he feels like they're about a week out on soybeans, starting to pick, and he said he started, he saw people, he was say he went east to David City, and he said he saw people picking already. So. Well, yeah, uh, luckily we are getting these warm conditions. Uh, September, we needed some heat, and we're mm-hmm. definitely getting it. Uh, very helpful right now. All right, very good. We did need that, that's for sure. Well, <laughs> thank you, Paul. Uh, where do you go to check in on your weather? KRBN.com. Looking for options in unfavorable growing conditions. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Because of what we saw in field conditions this year, quite a few Kansas farmers planted grain sorghum late as a substitute for the corn and the beans they didn't get in the field. Now that sorghum may or may not reach maturity before the first frost, but there are some options. One is harvested as hay. K-State Forage agronomist John Holman says, that the considerable amount of research work on putting up grain sorghum hay, and he recommends harvesting as soon as possible. As we delay our harvest of those crops, our forage yield can be increased, but our quality greatly decreases. And so kind of an optimum time is to harvest that crop when it, when it first starts to head. Um, if we have adequate moisture, then that also would allow us to come back and take a second cutting. When you compare it to other hay crops, sorghum needs a little extra time to dry down in the field. Holman says that producers need to manage that for cutting time. There's kind of two schools of thought on that crop. One is to lay that windrow out fairly wide, as wide as your pickup will allow with the baler, to get the most solar radiation on that crop and dry it down as as quickly as possible. The other school of thought is to... um, put that crop a little bit narrower and try and minimize the amount of area that is uh, going to be rained on because that crop requires you know, at least 10 days, two weeks of, of drying time. If you cut that crop though and leave a little bit of stubble height, that kind of helps hold that crop up a little bit off the ground and kind of aids with that drying process and will also aid if we do get a little bit of rain, kind of help keep that crop from worst case getting 
kind of down in the soil and not being able to to uh, pick it up. Additionally, the productive factor in cutting height when haying grain sorghum, and he explains why. Also, cutting a little bit higher helps to in, improve uh, feed value and, and, and reduce nitrate in the crop. That's something we want to be thinking about as we start to put up those hay crops. Once you cut it, the nitrate that is there at the time that you cut it, it's going to be there. And some of the work we've seen with cutting a little bit higher is uh, we, we can improve our milk per ton, so the feed value is a little bit higher, and we don't give up too much loss in dry matter per acre while we are able to improve our quality of the product. Those comments coming from K-State Forge agronomist John Holman. Winter wheat planting also will soon hit full stride across areas of Kansas, and a K-State crop nutrient specialist invites growers to consider an in-furrow starter fertilizer application at planting time. That approach would lead to improved stand and some early growth. Dorivar Ruiz-Diaz has been evaluating the starter fertilizer approach for wheat and so far likes what he's seen. Specifically talking about starter fertilizer, which is basically again focusing on the placement is a key component here. And in this case, we Time for us to take a look at sports. Jason Jorgensen in studio, and uh, good afternoon, Jason. How are we doing? Not too bad. Two days after losing its number one spot in the AVCA National Poll, second-ranked Stanford knocked off the top-ranked team of the country last night. The Cardinal beat top-ranked Nebraska 3-1 to in front of a record crowd at the Devaney Sports Center. Catherine Plummer led Stanford with 19 kills and four aces. Now, even though the Huskers didn't come out on top, head coach John Cook hopes this match can do some good. I'm very encouraged, and, and this is a, a great teaching opportunity for us. We, were, we just made a list on the board what we've got to start getting better at, and, uh, and we learned some lessons tonight You know, against uh, how you have to play against the teams at this level. This is you know, a big step up from anything we've done all year. Cook made his comments on the Huskers Sports Network. Stanford took the first set 25-21 before dropping the second 25-22. Then they took over, winning the next two 25-17 and 25-16. So much for revenge yeah. for the Huskers. And who knows, these two might meet down the road in the NCAA tournament. But Plumber's a lot to deal with. and uh, Yeah, yeah, they have a good libero and... They, the Husker football team worked out in full pads for two hours yesterday, and offense coordinator Troy Walters says Illinois' defense could cause some issues. Big challenge. They want to cause disruption. Um, they get after it up front, and uh, you know they don't do a whole lot in the back end, but they're really disruptive. They twist. They move a lot up front. So uh, we've got our hands full. Um, and I think if we can do a good job of protecting Adrian and giving them a clean pocket, there's throws to be made, but... Uh, they present a definitely a challenge in terms of protecting and keeping them clean. Kickoff on Saturday night in Champaign is set for 7. Of course, we will bring you the game right here on 880-KRVN. And old rivals meet at Wrigley Field tonight when the first-place Cardinals face the Cubs in the opener of a four-game series that could go a long way toward deciding the NL Central. Jack Flaherty pitches against Chicago right-hander Kyle Hendricks. The teams play seven times in their final ten games. Big matchups in a three-way divisional race. It also includes Milwaukee. St. Louis is three games ahead of both the Cubs and the Brewers. Those two don't like each other very much. Uh, no, and that's hotly contested here down the stretch. And, of course, Milwaukee's playing a little shorthanded without Yelich. Yeah. Cubs have had bullpen issues for most of the year, so we'll see who's left out when this thing finally comes to an end. 
That is a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Thank you, sir. Time for us to take a look at news, see what's going on in our area. Austin Jacobson is on the call. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm doing doing pretty good. It's a good we're, day out there on Thursday, Lexington land. We're in opposite studios, <laughs> so we're looking across the glass. At you look other. great through the glass there. So well, I, I, I find that if there's many obstacles in the way, I always look better. So, What do you got for us? Today? Well, taking a look at news out of Omaha, the Missouri River continues to rise and flood mostly rural land in Nebraska and Iowa, but Interstate 29 will remain open near Omaha. Iowa Transportation Department officials expect to have to close parts of I-29 at some point during this week's flood. The river is expected to crest Saturday near Omaha, and the highway remained open Thursday morning, although several on-ramps were closed in southwest Iowa. Scott, obviously, you don't want to hear the F-word flood in the yeah, state anymore. We're tired of that. Year. Tired of it. Moving on to Lincoln, officers found more weapons and drugs during a second search of the Nebraska State Penitentiary in Lincoln. The Nebraska Correctional Services Department deployed canine teams after a lockdown was imposed at 4.30 a.m. Wednesday. Department Director Scott Frakes says nearly 40 officers from other law enforcement agencies joined department employees in the hunt for contraband, and a September 4th lockdown and sweep of the prison also found homemade weapons, cell phones, drugs, and other items. Earlier this week, the White House announced plans to enter into an initial trade agreement. Congressman Adrian Smith was hopeful with the development. Ultimately, if we can get a, a bilateral trade agreement with Japan, that puts us at about 95% of what the Trans-Pacific Partnership would have been. And I, I think that American production, U.S. production of all things agriculture and, and other sectors of our economy uh, would, would greatly benefit from more market access uh, to to Japan. And President Trump's made the announcement in a statement but did not provide any details of the agreement. Central Community College announced that its total college-wide enrollment for the 2019 fall semester is 6,212, which is up from the start of the 2018 fall semester. That total is comprised of 2,782 on-campus students and 3,430 distance learning students. Total enrollment includes on-campus and distance learning students at CCC's campuses in Columbus, Grand Island, and Hastings, and centers in Holdridge, Kearney, and Lexington. The Kearney Center remains the most populated of those centers, and the on-campus the student population stands at 406, while distance learning students total 356. Out of Kansas, the Board of Regents has approved changes in admission standards that will allow more students to qualify for state universities. The board voted Wednesday to eliminate a rule that required students to take courses in English, math, and science in high school. Class rank will no longer be considered, and most students with a C or C-plus GPA will be accepted at most of those universities. Finally, to end your day with some positive news, the boy with brain cancer who scored a touchdown at a Nebraska practice game is playing football for real. 13-year-old Jack Hoffman took the field Monday to play center for his West Holt junior high team in Atkinson. In 2013, he drew national attention when he ran for a player-assisted 69-yard touchdown in the Husker spring game. Jack wanted to play football, so his parents checked with the doctors, and they said it was his parents' decision. The Hoffmans left it up to the 8th grader, and of course he decided to play. Scott, that's your look at news right here at 1230. All right, thank you. That's cool. Alex Wojcicki reporting on the Rural Radio Network, and I have Nick McConnell with me here in studio. 
Nick, the last time we talked, you are part of the UNL team that's been going out documenting flooding stories across the state. And the last time we talked, you had only been to a few locations, but I wanted to catch up with you, first of all, to see other places that you've been out to go and document stories. Sure, absolutely. So we've been all over the place throughout the summer, and something that we talked about early in the project that we really tried to hold up is that we wanted to, you know, have a good idea of what happened to the entire state with the extreme weather that, weather that happened this spring. So we planned a trip uh, that kind of encompassed the entire state in just a few days. First, we went up to um, Gavin's Point Dam in South Dakota to talk to them about how their water re-regulation and their whole dam system, which goes all the way up to um, Montana, if I'm not mistaken, kind of affected the flooding here in Nebraska. And then we spoke to folks at the Santee Sioux Reservation about how they were affected and how their recovery efforts were different from the rest of the state, which was a really interesting experience. We went to um, Spencer, I believe, and then we went west to um, Shadron the next day and talked to folks out there, ranchers and um, business people, about how they were affected by blizzards. And then we came back the following day and we expected to go to Dannenbrog, but that was the day that flash flooding hit Kearney really hard. And so we said, oh, we'd better change plans and turn around and go back to Kearney and see what's going on. So we um, we stopped in Kearney. And it happened so quickly. So tell me about some of the stories that you got to capture while you were out doing this. I mean, you went to so many different places, but hit some of the few, a few of the stories that really caught your attention. Sure. So um, I think one of my favorite experiences was we went and spoke to a rancher in western Nebraska named uh, Tanner. He was a fairly young guy, still in his 20s, um, but was running his whole ranch and had, you know, tons and tons of cattle. And he was telling us, you know, it's, it's not enough to have just some cattle anymore. You need to do other things. And so he was, um, you know, training horses for people and he was doing odd jobs all over, which is like not something that I'd ever been, you know, introduced to, the idea that you needed to have several things going on to make ends meet. But then he told us about... Um, the blizzard and then how his land kind of subsequently flooded out and how many problems he had with that. And I think the thing that hit us was like, in a more populated area, which I don't think a lot of people think of the eastern half of the state as like super populated compared to like the coasts and things, but in a relatively more populated area, it's a lot easier to get resources around to people when they need them and to get people help as soon as possible um, out there. That's a lot more difficult and it presents a lot of really unique challenges for people. And it is good that in those communities we found a, uh, a sort of sense of self-reliance already there, you know, that that was the only thing that got people through. It's, well, we've been doing it on our own out here for generations and generations. It's time to do that again uh, and get to work. And so he was telling us how he'd get, you know, less than four hours of sleep a day just in little one-hour increments throughout the day because he had to go check his cows all the time. And it was calving season, so he's getting more cows as this is going and trying to keep baby cows alive and he told us how he found a frozen baby calf and then put it in his bathtub to warm it up uh, and try and save it and he did and it was just like the most incredible thing of like I cannot imagine taking let alone you know a livestock animal into my home and then putting it in my bathtub and trying to clean it up and get it warm again but you know that's these people's livelihoods and as a kid from Lincoln it was incredible to see that and see like how that affects people mentally and emotionally and how how tied folks are to the land out there. Talk about how this how their message maybe have changed. I mean, this flooding happened like six months ago. How I mean, has their message changed? What are they talking about now that we're so far out? So early in the summer, we're talking to folks and there was 
you know, a little bit more spring in people's step. And you saw people go, you know, we're going to bounce back from this. We're absolutely going to, which hasn't gone away. But I do think it's been a lot of, we solve one problem and another one appears. And this one's nastier and more difficult. It's going to take more time and more money. We spoke to experts right at the beginning because we wanted to know what we were talking about throughout the project. And disaster experts told us that it could take, you know, nine years to recover from a natural disaster. Uh, I don't think people think of that. I think people donate a few dollars on Facebook and call it good. And they're like, all right. I've been a good citizen today. I did my part, and you know we've all saved the world one Facebook like at a time. But I think that something that's really important is people need to understand that there needs to be renewed attention, and we need to follow these stories after they stop being glamorous. We need to follow these stories after they stop being interesting. And, and, and when people get torn from their home in a matter of minutes, that's riveting. We want to read about that. What's not interesting for us to read about, but what is important for us to read about, is how they're slowly rebuilding. And I think even though those stories aren't flashy on the surface, they can be really fascinating. And it's incredible to watch people. You know, this is a human tragedy, and there's been an incredible amount of human emotion that we've, we've seen. You know, we've seen months later, people slowly coming to terms with what has happened and really processing that. So I think both from a logistical and physical standpoint and from an emotional standpoint, we just watched the whole thing mature and watched the whole thing stew, which was really fascinating. And if you're interested in seeing all of those stories put together by these students, you can go to prairiestormclouds.org, and they'll also be posting a documentary to recap their summer work. Thanks so much for joining us, Nick. That was Nick McConnell. He's a journalism student at the University of Nebraska at Lincoln, one of just a handful who spent their summers documenting flooding stories across the state. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to take a look at the business world and see what's gone going on and went on in the overnights a little better than yesterday we're seeing a little more grain across the board the Nikkei in Japan was up 84 points in the overnight the Hang Seng in Hong Kong down 282 the FTSE in London is was up 42 and the German DAX index was up 68 here in the United States grain across the board also if fractionally anyway the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 26 NASDAQ is up 15 at this point, and the S&P is up 6. Bob Rogan with more. Stocks higher, Microsoft climbing as traders welcome the software giant's decision to boost its quarterly dividend and approve a $40 billion stock buyback. Healthcare and communications services stocks also notching solid gains. Energy stocks lagged after rallying earlier in the week as crude oil prices soared. U.S. Steel dropped after it warned investors that its third-quarter loss would be wider than expected. Mortgage rates near historic lows have spurred a rush of home buying. The National Association of Realtors says home sales rose 1.3% in August to the highest level in 17 months. Sales have increased 2.6% from a year ago. Why? Cheaper borrowing costs have increased affordability for buyers. France's finance minister says Europe is ready to impose retaliatory tariffs next year on U.S. goods as part of a long-running dispute over subsidies to plane makers Airbus and Boeing. He told reporters today that Europe is bracing for possible U.S. sanctions over the dispute and that Americans should know that we are ready to react. The World Trade Organization ruled in May that Europe illegally subsidized Airbus, hurting U.S. competitor Boeing. 
Huawei is launching a new flagship smartphone that will run on the Chinese tech giant's own version of Google's Android operating system because of U.S. export sanctions. The Chinese tech giant unveiled the Mate 3, uh, Mate 30 series of phones at an event in Germany today. Huawei, the world's second biggest smartphone maker, is fighting to save its business after the Trump administration blocked access to U.S. components and technology in May on national security grounds. Home-sharing company Airbnb Incorporated plans to go public in 2020. It's a long-awaited move for the company, which was founded in 2008 in San Francisco. Airbnb is one of the largest home-sharing platforms. It has more than 7 million listings in 100,000 cities worldwide. And uh, my home is not on that list and probably won't be for a while. Is that right? Okay, well, I was going to ask you that. I was, I was hoping maybe. I'm just thinking, you know, you, there's got to be some people out there with some trepidation about sharing their home mm -hmm. with folks, especially if they all show up with hatchets and, uh, you know, colored hair. And yeah. not, not that I'm against people with colored hair. Well, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying, what, I, I need to know what their intentions are. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. They, so there has to be some sort of an approval period for this is what you're saying and uh i'll probably get phone calls over this no nah, no nah, i don't think you'll i think you'll be fine that's bob brogan everyone <laughs> his number is three <laughs> i'm kidding uh oil price is also up today up a up a little over a percent at 58.71 covering agriculture is a big commitment when KRVN takes you on the road for agriculture, you might hear us reporting across town, across the country, or across the ocean. We thank our equally committed on-the-road sponsors, the Nebraska Corn Board, Nebraska Land National Bank, and the Nebraska Soybean Board, powering our ag news travel aboard the KRVN Soy Biodiesel Pickup. On the road for agriculture. Because it's a big story. Initiative Petition for Property Tax Relief. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Ready Network. I'm Brian Stuskate reporting. During Husker Harvest Days last week, the group True Nebraskans were gathering signatures with hopes of placing a property tax relief item on the ballot for year 2020. One of those asking for signatures was Senator Steve Halloran. He represents District 33 in the Nebraska Legislature. Uh, when the legislature fails to act uh, on an issue, which... Frankly, we've failed to act for the last three decades on property tax relief. We have an initiative petition in this state to take it to the second house, to the voters, to decide on an issue. This particular initiative, initiative when passed, will give property taxpayers 35% refund from the state of their property tax liability. And if, if that refund is more than the income tax liability or income tax liability that they have, then they'll receive a check for the balance. I've heard it described by folks in the legislature, those in the government, as a dream, but how the heck do you fund it? So what's the answer to that? As a state senator, if this was to go through, how would it be funded? Well, let me back up just a little bit, and I'll answer that. I will answer that question, or at least address part of that question. Uh, what this will and what it won't do. What it won't do is it won't, local your, uh, won't lower your local property taxes. Uh, everybody will pay property taxes like they do now because they, we need to fund our schools, our counties, our NRDs. Everyone that's dependent on property taxes will have that stream of revenue for them to do that. What this will be is a refund from the state. And then to your question, 
where does the state come up with the revenue to uh, offset that 35%? First thing we'll have to look at is uh, sales tax exemptions. Over the years, Bryce, the legislature has granted sales tax exemptions, handed them out like candy uh, to various businesses that would come in and lobby to have an exemption not to charge sales tax. Uh, primarily, they'd be services and consumptive goods. Uh, we're not talking input exemptions here. Agriculture has input exemptions. We're going to protect those. Other businesses have input exemptions. We're going to protect those because if we if we charge sales tax tax on input exemptions like chemicals and fertilizer and seed, uh, that's like a value added tax, and that's highly inflationary. So we don't want to do that. Long, long explanation here, Bryce, but the non-input exemptions are typically services and, and consumptive goods that uh, have exemption not to charge sales tax. So when they don't charge sales tax, Bryce, what happens? We lose revenue in the state because of that. Where do we pick that up? Who picks up the load? Property taxpayers. So we'll have to look very, very closely at withdrawing a lot of those sales tax exemptions. How many signatures do you need? Uh, need about 125,000 certified uh, signatures. Can you give us an idea of where you're at right now? Uh, we're just a couple signatures away. No, I wish <laughs> I wish that was the case. Uh, we haven't done a recent audit. Uh, just thought, being frank with you, we haven't done a recent audit. I don't know where we are. Uh, but we have over 300 volunteers across the state uh, asking people to sign the petition, to put it on the ballot. As a sitting senator in the Nebraska legislature, do you have any hope uh, when the session reconvenes in January that any progress will be made on this issue as there is this ongoing petition drive? Well, there's always hope, right? Um, as I said earlier, uh, it's, it's been over three decades of promising Nebraskans some form of property tax relief. Um, so hope is boundless. But uh, if, if history is any kind of predictor of the future, um, I'm not overly optimistic. That was Senator Steve Halloran of District 33. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Kind of a choppy trade in the grains today. Well, let's find out more with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. I think soybeans were the main newsmaker when it came to this yeah, you know, this morning's numbers were really, really good. I almost like sticker shock when you saw the $1.4 billion for, for corn and $1.7 for beans. takes you back to the past few years when we've had really good fall demand. And um, I look for this to be the theme now going forward. We saw the, the, the you know, addition of China. They actually bought a little more announced this morning. So uh, I think it's only a matter of time, in my opinion, that this thing will get going again. Um, I, I just feel like if you're going to buy something, soybeans are it. You know, corn, I understand, has problems as well, but I just worry that the demand is going to really show itself as weak as we rally, kind of like the crude oil market did just a couple of, of uh, days ago on its rally and then gave a lot of it back within a couple of days. But soybeans, in my opinion, don't face that problem just due to the fact that protein is such a demand trade right now, given what's going on over in Asia, uh, combined with the, the fact that this, this crop is really late. And if you're going to be open to a frost, I think that might be the one, a better trade, in my opinion. All right. Soybeans have a certain resistance level, and once maybe once that's reached, then it opens the door for higher prices? Yeah, and I think once the harvest starts and we start to find out what's there, combined with maybe you know maybe some weather, you're know, starting to see that cold weather inch its way east. Um, really, the last two weeks we've had the same patterns that have been you know existence really since the middle part of August. 
very warm, seasonally warm across the country, and now it's starting to be isolated more to the southeastern part of the country, and you're seeing that cold line move farther and farther east. Uh, right now it kind of sits just on the other side of the Dakotas, uh, but I think as we start to move here uh, into the into the new crop year, if you don't get a hurricane, I think the, the jet stream is going to start to move back into a norm, more normal pattern, and that's where you get one hint of a frost, and that's what we're just waiting for, one hint. It doesn't even have to really develop. I think you're going to get maybe a, a quick short covering move and really exposed to see who's there. So uh, shorter run, I, 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 you know, I'd like to think things can change in the next couple of days, but I think you just got to wait for that weather to come around and maybe throw a monkey wrench into everybody's harvest plans. Why did spring wheat gain on winter wheat futures today? Short covering is the main theme in wheat. You know, the, the hard red contracts, whether it be KC or Minneapolis, have been just so oversold that, you know, the bounce is there. We're through delivery. Uh, I don't think I get bullish here. I think the next trade you want to make is maybe on the short side in wheat if we'd rally and then look to buy it back come, you know, into November. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. And if you have further questions can contact them on their website, danielsagmarketing.com. I'm Dewey Nelson. And that's going to do it for our midday program here on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcasts at krvn.com. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Divinity Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DaviniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Divini deal.